Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. This week, I'm delighted to introduce you to Beth Bate, the remarkable director of Dundee Contemporary Arts Centre in Scotland. From overcoming childhood bullying and health challenges to thriving in the arts, Beth's journey is a testament to endurance and resilience. We talk about finding your champions, embracing your inner spark and learning from impactful mentors. Stay tuned to hear what Beth will be practising saying no to in future and her empowering advice to fuel your creative journey. Firstly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Beth. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to be with you. So thanks so much for carving out time for us. No, my absolute pleasure. Um, really, really good to be talking to you, particularly after that chance meeting we had at Green Man and not having seen you for so long. Um, it's been, yeah, wonderful to reconnect. Oh, and yeah, actually both of us being at Green Man was uh, a sign. We like to to recharge with music in our bones, I think. So it's uh, it's an amazing festival. You know, I go to every year and it was amazing to hear that you go there too. So yeah, brilliant to be sat on the banks, soaking up the rays, listening to music. Can't think of anything better. But we're going to take a chance at this moment just to, to kind of zoom out a little bit and just come on, start at the very beginning with you, if that's all right. Because I'd like to sort of dig in and hear a little bit about where did your creative journey start? Where were you, where did you, where were you raised? Who were you raised by? What were the kind of influences for you when you in the mm. early years? Um, well, that's probably a very good way to start with that mention of Green Man Festival, because I grew up about 15 minutes away from the Green Man site. Uh, trails, the where the Black Mountains and Brecon Beacons meet. So a small mm. uh, place called Talgarth, which is directly in between uh, Brecon uh, and Hailmire on the other, which became quite well-known um, cultural towns as I was reaching my teens, maybe sort of nine, ten, the Jazz Festival started and Hay Festival of Literature started. And so it was interesting that there were these two small market towns in the middle of Wales that had these big, um, had big cultural activities going on in them and, and that you could you know, get dragged to the or maybe meet friends at. Um, but in Targarth itself, uh, it was a, a bit of a, a different setup, I suppose. Um, but I had uh, there wasn't so much much access in the village. But I had very very committed parents, and I was very very lucky. Um, so I was brought up with my mum and my dad and my brother, and um, which particularly at the time remote in 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 the middle of Wales. Uh, there wasn't immediate access to a lot of cultural off. Um, there was a cinema in Brecon, which where I saw my films, Snow White, when I was three years old. Um, the re-release, obviously. Still a great film. But it relied on hugely on my parents, I think, to to be able to take me and my brother to things which were often um, a lot further away. So, uh, you know, it was always a drive to get anywhere mm. um and we were you know an hour and a half from cardiff we we're an hour from hereford 
So it was always a we, culture was very often something that was happening elsewhere. I had family in London visited. We might go to the big museums, which was always very exciting. And where where I grew up, there was a very I mean, a really amazing theatre service, a theatre and education service called Theatre Paris, which has sadly folded um, and it's withdrawn a number of years ago. They were based in London, Dodwell's amazing organisation that I remember coming to our primary school and amazing. Um, doing things. It's incredible. And to our secondary school, um, brilliant people with really quality work. And, and I think that my introduction then to culture was I would say really aside from those early childhood experiences and those festivals through theatre and I joined um the youth theatre that was attached to theatre Paris when I was years old and it was um genuinely life-changing and I don't use that phrase lightly at all it was um wasn't particularly good wasn't great at acting <laughs> I pick, I played Amazing. instruments, I played in the band a lot there. But um there was something about they had a completely open access approach. You could anyone could join, anyone could become a member of the theatre. It was incredibly hard work. You worked with professional directors and musicians and music directors and stage managers and costume people and um expected incredibly high. And the quality was was absolutely excellent. Really early on, I had an understanding that you could bring together um, a genuinely very mixed bunch of teenagers who lived in and around Ilthwells, Slamdod, uh, maybe out towards Irwood and Talgarth. These names don't mean anything to people, perhaps. <laughs> you know, these are not big centres. Um, and, and create something remarkable to get um, that you had a huge sense of ownership and, and and pride over that i would say was a was a was the really moment but even then it relied on my mum driving north which was half hour and driving home again amazing and then driving back to prison. so you know a lot of time bombing up and down those little roads to to take me places so in, so you know eternal gratitude really to um f- f- for them getting to keeping me involved me involved with things like that even though I was very grumpy at the time that I lived in the middle of nowhere <laughs> <laughs> what was um what was the context of the village just to paint for our international listeners just to paint a kind of visual picture mm. of your your village and your town where you grew up um so uh, uh you um, imagine um, rolling hills, green hills. Mm. Um, we are just above what people know as the valleys of South Wales. So we're just of South Wales. Um, incredible mountains and, and the Black Mountains, um, very, very dramatic. Mm. Um, scenery that at the time growing up and as a teenager, sort of bored me senseless but but I have grown <laughs> to love and feel a very very deep um deep connection to and I miss it um when I can't live in Scotland get that nourishment sometimes from the landscape mm. a lot a very big farming community 
um, lots, lots and lots of sheep farming uh, and grain and cows. So very, yeah, very farming based, big farming community, lots of farming, the local schools alongside people that lived in rural, smaller villages itself. But the villages um different now with people feeling much more connected either through better transport links but particularly the internet but at the time felt quite um felt quite far away from perhaps where as a teenager certainly exciting things might be happening i yeah. could get on for an hour a couple of buses a day to hereford or maybe a couple of buses to brecon amazing um, so what <laughs> What were your what were your mum and dad doing? What was their occupation? So my mum was a was she taught she also taught second school uh, in a kind of a fit of complete awkwardness. She actually taught me secondary school. It's any child of a teaching parent will know is is not fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a child of a teacher too, and um, yeah, it's really not were fun. you ever taught? Did you ever get taught by No, your my dad my dad refused to teach me actually in the end. He just said it wasn't a good idea. So uh yeah, I um, I managed to swerve that in the end. But yes. So your mum yeah, was a teacher. Well, was what, a, yes. what was what was your dad doing? Mum was a teacher and then dad Dad um used to work for the Welsh Water Authority in IT and computer side of things. And then he moved to work in Cardiff and was working away a lot during the week at the company's house for a long time. Um there's a completely new world of systems analysis and IT um process work, but um there's obviously the world lots of people we now inhabit working team, working in IT. Um, and then starting and consulting all over the UK, doing that kind of work. So he was away a lot. He was away Monday. To My mum did this incredible job of working and uh, raising me and my brother and my dad coming weekends to the house because <laughs> we lived in a very relaxed state when he wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, you're growing up in this incredible glorious countryside but as a teenager we know that actually you're hungry for adventure and uh, new territories and new new places so you're introduced to the theater and you get introduced to this idea of culture and the possibilities and I love the fact that you say you weren't necessarily good at acting but what is it that that gave you at the start of your kind of creative journey do you think that held you in good stead now? I think there was um, a tremendous sense of camaraderie, and certainly the youth theatre seemed to attract those of us who perhaps hadn't found our tribe easily at school, mm. and um, perhaps were a little bit on the outside of the mainstream things which were going on, and so there was a a real sense of in some ways, there were very close friendships. And in some ways, for, for lots of people there, and not just myself as a sort of chosen family, that people mm. made incredibly strong connections and relied on each other in a, in, a, in, a, in a very meaningful way. And I think there was something in being able to recognize 
your community and recognize who your supporters are. And I don't mean as in the people that, I mean, supporters as in people that shout about you and make a fuss about you. I mean, supporters that you, that you know are there for you um, Mm. at at, at different times and different types of need. Um, I think it, it, it taught me about that. And I think it taught me about um, what could be achieved when people were really trusted and when people were really, uh, when a lot was demanded of them, but when they were supported to be able to, to give that. So we were, you know, there was, it was, those shows were incredibly hard work. And I remember we had Guardian come to visit come to review a production that we'd done of Friedrich during Matt's The Visit. And we got a five-star review in The Guardian. Maybe it was four stars. But anyway, at age 14, I just thought that was completely normal that The Guardian would turn up (laughs) and you for the show. I mean, I was like, well, of course, The Guardian, of course. Very exciting. Amazing. But it was, you know, it was, it was, um, so there was, there was a real sense of what could be achieved when people were, were supported in their in their in their in their different ways. So I so I do hold, even though I don't have a huge amount to do with theatre anymore, um I I do hold that very dear. And I do hold the concept that enabling young people at those really key developmental points when they're learning about voice and they're learning about and I mean inner voice, not just out mm. of learning about engagement, learning about connection, learning about who they're accountable to, learning about who they can share things with. I think being involved in arts and culture in whatever form, there are so many ways to do that. Your theatre is just but one. Um, I, yeah, I hold that very, I hold that very dear as well. I would Mm. absolutely for um, really quality engagement, arts engagement for young people. Absolutely. Yeah. That quality, that's something. Quality in community is something mm. that, that came up for me, which just thinking to that that point you made about finding your tribe and feeling outside the mainstream, could you tell me a bit more about it? How did, how did it feel to be slightly outside the mainstream and how did you know that you were? What were the feelings <laughs> or thoughts that came up for you when, at that age? Oh, it's, I mean, it's goodness me, you look at school photographs and it's, um, <laughs> I mean, it looked incredibly different. I mean, I chose to look different, but I mean, I've always, I guess there's always been an element of slightly sticking out. I'm very tall. Um, I could be quite, um, I suppose there's a, you know, I'm quite hard to miss, you know, I'm <laughs> tall and I'm quite loud. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's quite hard to make yourself shrink physically as a, mm-hmm. as a so interesting as a woman so you so you become very aware of being uh, being very visible I suppose and always being aware of, of of that and I'm you know I'm from a family of very tall people and my children are huge um I will soon be probably the smallest person here which is quite strange but amazing um but I think there was something about being attracted and drawn to um attracted and drawn to things which were ha- perhaps slightly outside of the mainstream and that seemed to that seemed to suit me quite nicely and that certainly manifested itself through 
music, music and film were hugely important to me as a teenager mm. and 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 still and still are. But they were ways of really identifying with particular tribes and me making connections with other people, and um, you know, and with hair and with makeup and with wearing different types of clothes, um, being able to very clearly identify yourself with particular tribes and subcultures and 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 that's and that i think meant that there were you know there were relationships formed with lots of people and with other friends around film and around music mm. particularly around music and around fashion you become friends with people that looked a similar way it's a very teenage thing to do isn't it yes you maybe don't have your tribe immediately on your on 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 your doorstep and I think it wasn't really until I went to university and I met and I lived with people who didn't dress exactly like me, but it turned out we were very, very similar that I started to sort of slightly relax about yeah. that, that we don't all have to look the same to be friends. Yeah, that's so. And so what kind of uh, hair, makeup, music are we talking? What were your, uh, what was your tribe at that time? Okay. So when I was a very, I guess my 13, 14 year old self was very indie kid, very heavy into reading Melody Maker and NME. And then I started mm, to get sort of gothier and gothier. So dyed black hair and my piercings and very pale makeup and lots of, um, my leather jacket. And I do remember going out to see, going, going out to a nightclub in Cardiff and getting ready for my mum to drive me to Abergavenny train station to go and meet friends in Cardiff. And I had like a, I must have been about 16, had a fishnet body stocking on and a leather jacket. And my mum was saying, please put a cardi on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, cardigan for those of us who who weren't brought up uh, in villages. Um, I think I'm with you. That cardigan over fishnets. Yeah, oh, I had yeah. I mean, what a look it. that would have been. Um, yeah, definitely pop a cardi on your freeze. Um, and that turned into a big love of an interest in industrial music and okay. into um and a lot of electronic music and I became very interested in early electronic music that grew out through the 70s and mm. early 80s and so um and and that interest in that I guess that alternative to the mainstream type of music also lived alongside you know the development of dance music in in the UK, and although you know, I have uh, my partner would argue that well, by 1989, rave was already over, and I was like, great, I was 12, thank you very much. Yeah, um, <laughs> but he, but there's a um, the the birth of sorry, I guess sorry, the rise of um, free parties and raves, particularly in rural Wales, and going to university, living in London for a year and going to university and becoming heavily into house music and and techno and and tech house music, living alongside that love of early um electronica was a was a big part of um yeah, it was a big part of what I was listening to as long as as well as lots of other, you know, fun and and lighter stuff. But it's interesting how much of that is yeah, remains amongst the, you know so much of the other music that I still listen to now. There are still things which I go back and. and Can you give us an I, example, Beth? What kind of things floated your boat? Oh goodness, I was a huge fan of Mark Holman and particularly 
his work obviously with Soft Cell, but then the work that he did as a solo artist and I, and all his, you know, watching him fall in love with Jacques Brel and torch singing. And then his work with Coil. And um, I found that, I found his musical tastes and interests absolutely in, intriguing. Um, and I listened to um, a lot of, Chris and Cozy, I listened to lots of Susie and the Banshees. Um, yeah, I guess it was a that typical, quite, I guess, gothy, industrial side of things. But then we go out to big raves, you know, in the Forestry Commission at the side, you know, go mm. mix, <laughs> mix it up. Of a, of a Welsh hill with a big sound system that, travellers are driven in you know because it was just a chance to go out and do something and be communal and yeah be part of be part of something and um when I being part of that large communal experience was very was very mm-hmm. yeah it was very important and, and nightclubbing clubbing became a big part of life um and certainly from when I was 18 I moved to London for a year before I went to university and I was and and I worked in nightclubs and I did the door at nightclubs. And so Amazing. again, that idea of being, you know, part of a um a group of people who um supported each other and perhaps lived slightly different, slightly differently to the way that um we might have been expected to, certainly yeah. a, a bit of a welcome change for me aged 18, having left rural mid Wales. <laughs> yeah. What do you think it was that gave you the courage to dare to be different? That's a really good question, actually. And I'm not sure. I just can't really imagine having been any other way. It, it mm. wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice. Um, and I also was incredibly, you know, I was picked on. I was bullied for years and years at, at, at school well before I started looking very different. And in a way, that was a sort of a manifestation, you know, being, mm. okay, you're going to treat me differently. I will look different as well. And um and and I think that there was a there was a point of sort of fierceness that arose out of that as mm. well. So definitely quite an argumentative, um slightly fighty teenager. Hey. <laughs> that eventually arose out of out out, out of that. But it felt like I there wasn't any other way to be and the people who I was so interested in and the people who um who I wanted to learn about and read about um were were people who had tried to be different and do things differently. Mm. And it seems ironic now, you know, I'm a mother of two that lives in a nice house in Dundee and has a job which, you know, I find hugely rewarding. So it's that there's a um, it's not like I've gone off and done anything radical with my life. I really haven't at all. But I do find I, fi- I find looking back at those, yeah, certainly those those teenage years quite interesting. As a, I can't imagine how I could have been um, any different. I remember having a conversation with my mum a while ago, saying, you know, when, when earth did you let me do all these ridiculous things? You know, and I was going out nightclubbing and doing traveling to London to go to the slime light when I was 16 years old and getting the train home from Paddington at silly o'clock in the morning. And she said, oh God, we couldn't have stopped you. <laughs> Amazing. 
Amazing that she invested that trust in you. Well, I I think it was either that or what do you do? Then you leave and then we don't, and then you're not here at all. So I'm trying to figure out, I'd hate to speak on behalf of my parents' choices. I really would. But um, I kind of exactly the kind of daughter I would probably hate to have. Uh, So, you know, it's so amazing to hear you say that. But also when you're talking about that, finding your tribe and, uh, expressing yourself through clothes and music and moving between different alternative camps so that you can find that space. But also, you know, when you talk about where you are now, and obviously you're the director of Dundee Contemporary Art Space, Mm. um, which is an amazing space in the north of um, the UK. And it's an incredible site for holding space for radical people. So in terms of that lineage or that kind of that starting point, it makes perfect sense in terms of Dundee is this incredible sort of port town, if you like. It's a it's a, a, an amazing working class roots um, kind of city that has an incredible cultural contribution to make. Mm. But also there's a history of brilliant mavericks and outsiders and people who have done incredible creative Mm -hmm. things and so it seems like it makes perfect sense that you would choose to work with brilliant radical creatives because the program that you support through your team and nurture you have a a very um inspirational style of leadership which in the arts is kind of widely known and maybe it feels unspoken to you, but certainly you're a respected leader because of that space that you hold for brilliant people to do their thing. So it seems like an interesting uh, carrying on of that starting point. It was interesting when we um, were having a brief chat the other day and and it didn't cause me to reflect on you know on, on early influences and and early ideas and and it's you know hindsight is always glorious isn't it um the benefits of that um but i did um i did start to think about values and um and what and what you absorb over a over a career and what you absorb over a life and um and what's and what particularly sticks and what people you have encountered um who yeah who change the way you feel or make what you do somehow validate it and support it and that funny thing about finding your tribe as a teenager very often being about what you look like um being very um being very um clothes and music base and I think actually finding a community of people who um I love working with and I love having in my life and my mm. professional life and personal life um has has been um I think that that wanting to find connection I think is the is the theme and I think that actually as opposed to you finding a tribe through yes through fashion finding it through um through people who have similar values um is is what's become much clearer over time and sometimes you see people and you can see what they're doing and you can see how much um 
just being around them can be extremely exciting and thinking about what you can learn from them. And I still come across people like that, that I think, oh, gosh, how do they do that? How do they manage to do this? How do they say that so succinctly? How do they make people around them feel a certain way? And I think people who have continued to be interested in supporting others, in thinking about what welcome and care can mean, mm-hmm. in thinking about um, being radical in all of its senses, but also about thinking about having fun, thinking about how we create um, a fun community that does brilliant things together. Those are the sorts of people that um, I find myself seeking out or recognizing or wanting to be friends with. (laughs) Mm, Makes perfect sense. And I think um, I would say that you exude that as well, you know, that people know that you are in it for the right reasons. And I think that's that feels like something you've worked on. I'm curious just to, in terms of connecting that, um, coming out of a place where you didn't fit in and, you know, it caused your peers or schoolmates consternation, which resulted in, in bullying. But then you found your voice and became fiercely present. And mm. I, I'm some, I'm, I was five foot 11 when I was 11, Beth. So I'm with you in terms of accidentally taking up a lot of space, you know, and um, finding those moments where you make yourself slightly smaller Mm. or, you know, I'm wondering if there were moments in your creative career where you, you learnt to bend and whether there was a turning point for you where you, found that way to hold space in a way that felt right for you? Gosh, that's a very good question. And I'm not sure whether there is a turning point. It kind of implies there's a sort of mm. skin conversion. I don't think there was. And um, and the thing about presence is funny. You've just reminded me actually of, um, just to sidetrack slightly, the um, my mother being a teacher at the school that I was in when I was um, 11 and um the English teacher at the time who didn't know she was my mum walked into the uh she's the drama teacher so I walked into the staff room and said to my mother oh my god I've got one H next I've got Beth and Rian those girls absolutely terrify me because me and Rian were both again we were 11 years old and five foot ten my mum said oh that's my daughter <laughs> even age 11 you know oh my god like desperately like yeah not to be too noticed but it means slightly unwitting um but I'm not sh- I'm not sure whether there is a particular turning point. I think there's been I think I've been extremely lucky to be have been to have sought out or to have been around a number of really remarkable people across mm-hmm. my career who I have who I've seen leadership leadership in action sounds very cheesy, doesn't it? But I've seen skills that I've recognised as as being um, remarkable and and things I would like I would like to copy when we learn, but don't mm, we? Yeah. we learn by emulating and copying, and and I think I've been very lucky to absorb a lot along the way. I've seen some brilliant people in action, like who, Beth? I would absolutely name. Um, 
Mark Ball, who at the time was the director of Fierce Festival in Birmingham, who mm. gave me one of my first ever paid posts in uh, in the arts just after I left university. And Mark um, is exactly ten years older than me, and and he'd just set up, he'd set up and had run for two years in Birmingham um, a festival called Queer Fest. And then he changed the name. He rebranded it in 2000, the year I joined, um, and it was called Fierce Festival, um, but still had a lot of work by queer artists or work which spoke to queer issues. Mm. And um, and I thought Mark was, I mean, he was tremendously grown up and terribly old because he was all of 32. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, Mark was director of the festival and I was an admin assistant there and there were two of us and we and people were brought on for the festival itself and there were production managers and and people who actually made you know the actual whole festival happen but Mark and I were there week in week out um for 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 a long time for for, for maybe up to I'm trying to think it would have been three years perhaps mm-hmm. and um and Mark then went on to become director of London International Festival of Theatre. He went on to Manchester International Festival and he's now artistic director of South Bank Centre. And he um I I learned an enormous amount from Mark in terms of taking huge responsibility for the voice and the power and the role that you can have and mm. the accountability that you have to platform and program for other people and for underrepresented voices. Um I have a huge amount to thank him for learning about how to enjoy your work, about yeah. how to um, how to remember why we're doing this and about why it's important for us and, and why it's important for the communities that we belong to and the communities that we wish to speak to. Um, and, you know, we were a tiny festival on a shoestring budget and you just, I learned so much. I mean, mm. Just had you know learned about budgeting and communications and marketing and artist contract management and what to do with an artist rings you at two o'clock in the morning because it's been a disaster and you just yeah. learned all of it because they you know there was just us doing it. Mm. Um, so I think about I think about what Mark um, did um, there and and his subsequent career a lot and he's you know he works for major institutions and one of, you know, without a doubt, the most influential people in culture in the UK, without a doubt. Um, but he's retained something that still feels completely him and still yeah. feels, it still feels like the mark I knew when, you know, we were babies, essentially. Yeah, um, so it's a really human, he stayed uh, an accessible human Totally, just remained himself. And I think as well a lot about an amazing woman who has whose praises I think don't think have been sung as much as they should have been. And I was so pleased to see an article that appeared in Art Monthly, I think it was maybe the last issue or the issue before that, about Sylvia King, Mm -hmm. who used to run an organization called The Public in West Bromwich. um, uh, uh, And I worked for Sylvia for about two years um, and she came from the most tremendous organisation of people, of artists, of community activists that worked in Sandwell, worked in West Mm. Bromwich and did deeply embedded community engagement work. And uh, 
Sylvia again, much like Mark, and they were tremendous friends, um, managed to remain completely herself yeah. throughout all of the sometimes wild and expansive projects mm. um, that, that, that they embarked upon. And she absolutely had a belief that the work that they did was making, she had a responsibility to try and transform things. And mm. she she had abilities and to enable her to do that. And that 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 thread was through all of the work she did from the very small early beginnings um, in of her community work in uh, the 60s and 70s in uh, in Sandwell, right the way through to opening the much troubled project, the Big Capital Pro Programme for the public. Um, that thread remained there. And it took me quite a while to realise actually how important Sylvia was for me because I saw how she led this incredible organisation, mm-hmm. people from very disparate practices, from different backgrounds um, and, and brought them together with this incredible vision of what what would be possible if um, if we could make arts and culture as accessible as possible for everybody in that particular part of the West Midlands. And it was an incredible ambition and there were huge numbers of issues along, along the way. It's been much documented, but Sylvia's personality and her ability to make people feel like they were really part of something. Yeah. Um, just always shone. Yes, I think both um, both her and Mark, um, particularly Sylvia, I, I saw speak. Um, I mean, they're both kind of passionate, and but there's something about soft power in both of them, you know, that is interesting to me, that sort of that ability to influence without without bullying somebody into doing what you want, you know, that actually almost you're being sold without realizing you're being sold, but also there's something about the joy of the passion of the power of the people actually. Yeah. It can be infectious. It's, yes. it's, it's community. And I use community in the broadest sense. Yes. Something, there is something remarkable about creating creating connection and um i'm reading an, <clears throat> reading an amazing book at the moment called let this radicalize you which talks about um it's about um community activism and about community engagement and about not letting fury go to waste about how you can turn that into something remarkable but he's um two incredible community activists kelly hayes and Mariam Kaba, and they talk about creating connection being a creative act. And um, there was even a slight hesitancy when we were first talking about this podcast and about mm-hmm. being creative. I said, well, I'm not creative. I'm, you know, and I'm essentially, I'm an administrator, you know, I'm a director, I'm a chief executive. I sit on boards. But it did start to make me think about what it, in what does it take to create meaningful connection and to and to change things, to transform things for, for the better, and to and to look at the responsibility and privilege and accountability that you have as an individual, and how you can how how you share that. Yeah, I think that's great. I think I asked you to be on the podcast because I do see you as an extraordinary creative person, and part of the 
opening up this idea of creativity, which is rather rather than being output driven, which so many people think about, you know, being an artist or being a creative. And it's really the the process that you've spoken about, um, that thinking about what's possible, mm. thinking about what could our ideas manifest if we pull together. So I have an, a hunch, an inkling of an idea. And if I work with you, exciting, fun person, you've got different ideas. And if we bring them together, what might be possible? Mm-hmm. So there's something about the to run an arts organization today, which, you know, let's face it, we know it's not without its challenges, <laughs> which we'll put a pin in that and come back to it. But there's something about that keeping the structure so that creatives can do their thing, but also then being organic and fluid enough to allow creativity to take place. Mm. That. And that creativity of thinking quickly on your feet, having ideas, because you can't be a leader without having creative mm. ideas, but then also knowing because you've done the work to put the strategy in place to make it happen. Mm. That's an extraordinary creative skill set. <laughs> I think there's something um as well. And I, yeah, I, I you know that's yeah, I can recognize that. And it's always difficult. Um absolutely hate having praise, but um but I but thank you. <laughs> the um I think that there is the people I've looked to and the people I admire are also the people who um are aware of the things they are less good at. And I don't mean that as a way of saying this yeah. is an opportunity for me to tell you all the things I'm terrible at. Um, but not being good at everything isn't a weakness, but being able to identify the things that you're perhaps less strong at and to know where to bring in the other people who are good Mm. at those things, um, that can sometimes be exciting and creative and hugely reassuring. Um, And I did the leadership program in 2014, to 2015 yeah for a whole year Mm. and skipping back a little bit you asked whether there was something about being about taking at what point did you learn to step into Mm. a particular space or owning presence and I think I should thinking about it I should probably um should probably mention claw (laughs) because it really did in a similar way to that youth theatre experience change uh, changed my life personally and professionally and what that experience was incredibly was incredible at was about um helping you understand the things which you were really good at what your real strengths were mm-hmm. are, but also um being able to identify the things which you might want to make sure you've got a good team around you to help mm, you. amazing um, and what were the strengths that you identified then um, I think that it's going back a long time. It's it's diff- thinking about the lens now is interesting, you know, because maybe think it's thinking about if trying to remember what kind of leader you wanted to be. Yeah, at that I, time, I can remember. I can remember a little, and there was definitely something there around um, inspiring people and. Again, I know we've used this a lot, but the idea of building 
community and um and being you know having passion is fine but so many people can be you know can be passionate mm-hmm. to turn that into something really strategic through mm-hmm. through having a very clear vision and and putting a lot of hard work into it so this there was something about that there was something about that journey that i yeah i felt that i could definitely do mm-hmm. um, and i built you know huge an incredible network of people that cohort of of people i was um on the on that particular program with that year from across a whole range of art forms and there's choreographer and there was a writer there were um curators and, and and the number of people were all still in touch some in light ways some people i speak to quite regularly um as as a those sounding points those people that you can go to and ask for support and help are, mm. are definitely there but that was the moment that i thought actually this might be um this this might be possible actually mm-hmm. <laughs> the next step might be possible and when i came and did my interview for dca dundee contemporary arts i had a I, and i have spoken about this before um i had a particularly grueling interview process and had a horrible first interview where i was grilled um to the extent that the person grilling me, I could see other people around the table sort of looking at him going, is he doing? Interesting. And I remember my coat was at the back of the room and the door to get out was t- sort of towards n- near the back of the table, the panel. And I thought, if I just leave, which is what I wanted to do, I've got to walk to the back of the room and get my coat and then turn back and see them again. Or I could leave the room and not get my coat, but I really like that coat. <laughs> so I thought, oh my God, I've just got to stay and just slog it out. I just hated it. I hated it. And I still think about that experience. We were doing interviews with people last week and I thought, that is not the way to get the best out of people. Yeah. Um, you, learn, you, you learn from the shit things as well as the great you things. You do. Oh my God, you do. Yeah. Mm. And, and the and the recruitment consultant, the headhunter that'd been working on that, rang me up um, and gave me feedback afterwards and said, "You're through to the second round." I was like, "What?" <laughs> Having gone back to Newcastle and you know gone out and drowned my sorrows because clearly that wasn't going to be the job for me. Um, and she said, "You have every right to be in that room," and it was a little switch for me mm. that. You know, of course, in an ideal world, you shouldn't need anybody to give you permission at all. But sometimes you just do. Yeah, you do. Um, And and someone saying that to me, I thought, oh God, okay, no, I'm I'm as good as anybody else I'm interviewing. This is otherwise they wouldn't have let me come through. Okay. And the second interview, I remember feeling like I was myself. And he kind of grilled me again. And it was kind of funny. And I remember saying, what are you trying to do? What are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That you could quite... step back into your body in that way. Yeah. It, but, but it needed someone else to to tell me. And she made that little spark. And I thought, okay, that's possible. And I really hope sometimes it's not always possible, but I really hope there are times when I've I can 
I can do that for other people yeah. because it's just, it's an incredible feeling. I knew when I left that second interview, if I didn't get the job, it didn't matter, but it didn't matter. Obviously I wanted the yeah. job, but yeah. I knew that they'd seen me how I was and how I wanted to present myself. And if they didn't want, if that wasn't for them, you know, so be it. Yeah. But I didn't forget I'd let myself down. And so I would, I would always want to make sure that the people I'm working with and the people I'm in contact with have that sense of that, uh, permission to be themselves, I suppose. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of thing thinking about who being interested and attracting to you know alternative ways of being and people who are living in different ways, giving people the um people feeling that they can have full permission to be their full selves, I think is something that's a real is very important to me. Yeah, I love that. And I guess one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you and to to others on the podcast is there's something that comes up for creative people so often, which is because we are different from the mainstream, um, it takes an enormous amount of personal energy to maintain your vision mm. and your values and to hold on to those things where they're different from everybody else in the room. And I think that there is something um, certainly for for us, I guess, I hope that we have in common is that that uh, determination to create space for people who do see the world differently and celebrate that. Mm. And I know that you found a little excruciating with me saying such positive things about you, but I think with it's also for me about celebrating the people in the world who do make space and make opportunities for others. Because actually, I, do, I think resilience also comes through celebrating wins, you know, and taking time for women in particular, I have to say, it's a big deal for me personally, to recognize and give uh, give positive feedback to women when they need it or not, actually, because, you know, we have to work really bloody hard for it, frankly, to make space. And so I think, you know, in that moment of you saying, right, I'm absolutely, I'm never going to make people feel like that in an interview ever again, that learning from the shit moment, hmm. but also in in creating the space for artists and creatives, mm. it's such a nuanced container that you have to create, isn't it? Yeah. Such a, there's such a subtle shift could completely affect the results and so people's differently. Needs, people's needs are so different and people's, um, yeah, I mean, needs in, in, the, in every sense of that, of that word can be, are so, so different. So there is a, there is a, um, a sort of a constant process of having to listen and tune in and also accept sometimes that does not always go to plan mm -hmm. um, and having to accept that and adjust as well. But to know that you are, um, to, to know that you are facilitating um, something important is what, is what's key there. But you, yeah, there are times when you have to draw on all sorts of, Oh, am I going to finish? How are we going to this particular issue? And and I think about resilience. It's interesting because that word's been used so much over the last few years, and it's something we talked about a lot during Claw. Mm. 
Um, and I heard Adele Patrick, another leader who um, I hugely admire, who's one of the um, founders and the directors of Glasgow Women's Library, really um, incredible woman who speaks brilliantly, particularly about feminist leadership. And she talked about endurance. Mm. And I thought, gosh, that's a really interesting tilt of the lens, actually. Because resilience kind of implies that, you know, things bounce off you. They yes. don't. They don't, actually. Mm. <laughs> they really don't. Yeah. So, oh, um, I got goosebumps when you said that. Such, <laughs> yeah, such a good point. And the idea of endurance is... um. I thought was a re- was a brilliant word of hers. It made me think. It made me think a lot, and I do, and I do some. Um, I wouldn't quite call them endurance sports, but I do enjoy cycling a long way, walking a long mm. way, and I do things that take me distance. And I started to think about that as a, um, in connection with with that idea of mental endurance. Um, and leadership endurance. And I thought that was a that was a really, I really valued that. I really valued that from her. She's mm-hmm. someone else a lot about. Yeah. Never stopping learning. And she also is very good, as you are, about giving about telling people and telling other women um when uh what she values in them. And I think we also have we've become particularly in leadership roles or sometimes in senior roles, a lot of the actions you take aren't always liked and you, and it can be at odds with the fact that you want to create a brilliant, welcoming, warm workplace. Um, and sometimes you have to make decisions which are unpopular and sometimes they're small and sometimes they're, they're large. And so you have to sort of slightly tune out to the idea of being liked because yes. um, it's, it's, not it's not always helpful. I mean, it's not helpful in any sense. It's not helpful or possible, life. frankly. <laughs> so, exactly that. And so, yeah. so finding the right way to hear those, to give those compliments, and to give people mm-hmm. to hear valued is a, there's a real art to that. Um, and yeah, so you saying that and thinking about Adele's approach as well is really um, is 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 really helpful because we learn to be kind of I don't need. <laughs> I know well it's so interesting because so many people I know not only get embarrassed but also it's quite an emotional intimate thing to be to be kind and to to tell somebody in the moment you know this is what you mean to me and this is what you do brilliantly mm. but I think it's it's definitely something in terms of a coaching style of leadership um that I personally um learned and value but also I think it's something that we so rarely do for ourselves because that kind of when you're in service to others as you are um, a mum and a leader and somebody who cares about other people excelling at what they do I think that recognizing when something isn't working for you and being honest and open about that with yourself first and foremost is as important. And I'm wondering, I know I've taken up so much of your time already, but I'm wondering, just as we're we're coming towards the end of our time together, just thinking, you know, about those challenging things that have mm-hmm. contributed in that endurance process 
to actually shaping you up to be the creative leader that you are today? Mm. Um, I think it would probably be remiss of me to not to mention that, that I've had a, a huge amount of <laughs> illness and injury and um, operations and repair work and um, some through uh, some through misadventure, um, some through that just being um, my body. Um, and I think there's been there's something some of those have been very tough and um uh and I had my spleen removed in two thousand and six I think it was six seven wow. I have a, my immune system's not at its best, which over COVID you can imagine was a joy and having to shield and all of those delightful things um but but that's I remember that surgery for example, not being able to um not being able to walk for quite a long time and being off work for a very long time and um, having some issues around chronic fatigue for a stretch afterwards and being on lots of medication to help fight off potential infections, which go from being, you know, annoying to being potentially deadly. And these things seem to loom very, very close um, at, at, at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, endless injuries and repair work that I seem to have when I fall off things or onto things or into things. And um, there's something very um, humbling and very powerful about being reminded about what your body can do and what your body can't do. Mm. And um, and the, the, the sheer luck <laughs> that we go by. And live with mm. many of us yeah. every, every day. Um, and I do think about those times where I have been um, unable for, you know, a number of reasons over the years to not um, fulfill my responsibilities as I've wanted to for my family or I've not been able to care for the children or I've not been able to work where I've been um for, for whatever you know, medical reason at those points have been unable to do things and it means that when i am able there is a um um kind of uh probably a deeply frustrating for everybody <laughs> kind of energy to it because i know i've had a sight of what it's like to not be able to do it mm. and so um i i I think about that, but that sounds very grim and very doom and gloomy, and it's not at all. I mean, no, I, th- I, d- I don't receive it in that way um, at all. I'm firstly, I'm incredibly grateful that you shared that, and uh, also because I'm with you in radical candor for ourselves, but also for others, is really important because actually. Yeah. As a creative leader, we're not separate beings where the head operates separately to the body. You know, there's one holistic human doing its best in the world. And I think that's really important that we recognise. There are moments where we can't deliver on the vision we might have had for ourselves. And that adaptability, incredibly important. But also, I think... I refer to what you've talked about in in my own life because I I um lost my father really um quite young and I call it the death drive. You know this which sounds again morbid but I don't feel like that about it. There's something about experiencing 
what the body is to us and what it means to us to live a, a full life, that when you have your moments, your wake-up calls or your moments of realization, mm. then you have a gusto for life in a very mm. particular way. And, you know, there's something so, That's for me, so funny that you mentioned mm. that, Kerry. Oh, I'm not sure if you can hear me. Yes, I can hear you. Oh, sorry. I, just I can hear it. you. Yeah. There we are. I was just going to mention very quickly that's reminded me so much of um, one of the ways that we've connected over the years through the artist Claire Woods. Yes. Who I, I would absolutely put in that camp and someone who has also been very open about mm. um, her own medical situations over the years and mm. that own death drive. And it sort of sits there knowing <laughs> her. And yes. I. I when we did the show with her in the publication, someone wrote, she paints like she's going to die. And I said, well, in a sense, of course, we all are. But there was something in that that I thought, God, that's incredibly strong. And she's someone who I, you know, I'm very close to and connected with and yeah. stayed good friends with. And I think we probably recognize a little bit of that in each other as well yes. as deeply annoying as it is for people around <laughs> I know, I'm with you it is I think there's something about learning to navigate that gusto you know and I think just as um yourself I think I'm older than you and Claire but there is something in that coming to that point in your life where you realize that drive has to be managed in a slightly different way yeah. so I'm curious from where you sit now, everything you've learned as a creative leader and all the things you've learned from the creatives, what does joyful, creative leadership and life look like for you? Oh, goodness me. Joyful and creative leadership in life. There's, there is something about a spark that happens and you can feel a spark of energy you can feel it with other people mm. you can absolutely and sometimes you feel it with someone you've met meet very quickly you meet them for the first time and you're like oh sometimes it builds or it might be with a group mm. of the dynamics change but there's a spark that you can sometimes feel by yourself yeah that there's something in your stomach um that's almost happening slightly aside from what's going on in your brain but there's something in your stomach um that makes you feel incredibly alive and connected. Mm. And it can happen when you're by yourself. It can happen in a crowded room. It can happen in conversation with one person. There is, it feels um, that there is a, there is an acceptance to it. And I don't mean that in a kind of an accepting and just giving up way. I mean that there is, if it's possible to be peaceful and energetic at the same time. Yes, love that. So <laughs> it's not, that feels to me, because I had that tickle in my stomach when you were talking, that ignition moment, I really understand. You have to feel that ignition moment, but also that it's coming from a place of abundance rather than scarcity. Yes, and it's not mm. always what's extern external to you. It, it's something which is... Um, which is um uh which is which is yeah it's in, I keep touching my stomach because it's in yeah. can't see there are. um it's in my it's it's in it's in your stomach somehow it's in your gut 
I'm I'm holding my stomach too as you're talking, which is, you know, uh, I think there's something in knowing quickly how you tap into that in your creative projects that you decide, Mm. you say yes to and what you say no to. So to hold space for yourself, to have that ignition moment and to feel that peaceful knowingness, what are you going to say no to coming up? Oh, Oh, that's such a good question. What am I going to say no to? Right. Um, I'm hesitating to answer only because I'm quite strict about a lot of stuff already. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I like a woman who um, knows what she wants. I'm, I, um, although, you know, I'm very careful with working hours. I'm very careful with trying to balance things. I think... Um, what am I going to say no to? Um, I think that there, I think the battle for self care or self preservation probably is Audrey Lord would call it. I think that, um, does require being stricter with, 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 with requires me being strict myself about some things. So I think I would probably. Probably try to say no to packing so much in. Um, yeah. I know people who say, "I don't know how you do it all." I don't know, and then I think I don't know how I do it all either. Actually, mm. um, and sometimes my body isn't. So maybe my that would be. I I think I'm quite firm around, for example, my working hours and um, yeah, as I was saying, family responsibilities and making sure I have time for um, the important relationships in my life. But I definitely do pack a lot in and I think that may have to calm down a little <laughs> soon. I love that. So perhaps no to packing and yes to more enjoying. To calm more ish. space. More space. Yeah, I mean I don't yeah. know if it will happen, but I can try. <laughs> I mean Break the habit of a lifetime. You've got to try, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. With that in mind, Beth, what have you got coming up? Oh, well, we've just opened um, our incredible show with Rachel Eulina Williams. Um, she's a Brooklyn-based um, artist. She uses paint and sculpture and collage and assemblage in the DCA galleries, which is oh, just beautiful. I mean, just a, been a complete delight to install and open to the public um we have our 20th edition of our discovery film festival which is our um annual children's film festival showing international films um for children and young people at dca which is um a real highlight um chosen and selected by young people as well so it's a really it's one of the the jewels in our crown um and then uh, we have an exhibition coming up um, in uh, December with uh, Michelle Williams Gamaka, who's making an oh, incredible film, um, which is going to be in our galleries, inspired by some of the Asian and East Asian um, actors who appeared in the Power and Pressburger films, and then oh, reclaiming, wow. I know, um, reclaiming their sometimes problematic presentations in those films but a really big glorious 
Technicolor cinematic installation in the spaces, which is going to be sounds lovely. amazing. Yeah, and we have new residencies starting um, in our print studio, um, which we've developed um, uh, with support from Jurwood, um, particularly focusing on artists who um, have uh, parenting and caring needs. So, how do we create residencies where people can access them at the times and with the support and accommodation that they might need to? So they start very soon as well. So that's good. Amazing. So where could people find find out more about you and uh, ah. DCA? Well, definitely follow DCA on every single form of social media. We've got um, a lovely website, soon to be relaunched actually, but um, sign up for lots and lots of updates on all the activities um, that we have there. And DCA's Instagram, I have to say, is always a complete joy and um, i've actually cut back um a fair bit on um the socials which is interesting i'm not on facebook um i occasionally look at linkedin and i'm not really sure what to do with it um and i have a private instagram account that i try and keep for people that i know <laughs> looking at pictures of my children going to school which is probably not as it should be so uh, yeah i would um if i've met you that's fabulous come and wave at me on instagram otherwise head to dca um, because we'll put the links in the show notes for everybody. Yeah, that's brilliant. So um, before we sign off, I just wondered if you were to have any words of encouragement for an artist or a creative professional mm. working today, what would you um, say to encourage them to keep going? I would think about that endurance again and what nourishes you as you um as you are on a path of endurance. And I would also, I would also ask people to find your network, find your tribe, find your support. That might be through an amazing book that you've read. That might be through brilliant podcasts that you've mm -hmm. presented, Kerry. Um, it might be people um in your in your sphere, it might be people you need to reach out to, but finding your connection. Um, and and the people that you can work with and alongside to make things possible is is absolutely key. You are so important, but your journey can be completely shared. Mm, love that so much. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, Beth, and for being so open and honest. I think, you know, it's inspiring for artists and other creative professionals, I think, to know that you can be yourself and be the kind of leader who cares about everybody in the mix, but also that wants to have fun and have a life, you know, go cycling and find time to replenish the soul with good music and great artists as friends and as companions along the way. So thanks so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, I look forward to um, hearing how the show goes. I'm coming to see you again soon. So thank you. Thank you. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time.